This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me, and today we're going to talk about dragons. Do you guys remember Game of Thrones, right? Huge show. It's on HBO. Ran forever. Went off the air in 2019. Since then, everyone at HBO, but everywhere else as well, has been saying, when is the next Game of Thrones going to show up? And now HBO thinks it has the answer. It's another Game of Thrones show. This one is called House of the Dragon. It debuts Sunday, and here to talk to me about it is one of my favorite cultural thinkers, Joanna Robinson, formerly Vanity Fair, now over at The Ringer. Welcome, Joanna. Oh my God, feeling completely mutual. I'm so thrilled to talk to you about this. Here, let's just start with topic A. Will House of the Dragon, which is a prequel to Game of Thrones, be the next Game of Thrones? I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like nothing's ever going to be Game of Thrones ever again. Which is not to say that House of the Dragon won't be A, good, or B, popular, especially popular in relation to the split viewership numbers we're seeing now with so many, so many programming options. But the truth is, is it's not premiering in the same media environment that Game of Thrones premiered mm-hmm. in. And, you know, Game of Thrones wasn't a massive hit out the gate, but it just came out in a far less crowded, quieter time. So it had that chance to latch on to the monoculture. And we talk about death of the monoculture all the time. Is everyone watching the same thing anymore? And I feel like the answer is no. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I was going to get to this a little later, but we'll, we'll jump to it now. Game of Thrones debuted in 2011. And you might stop and pause the, the podcast for a second and just think about how you consume media back then. Maybe you streamed stuff on Netflix, but I bet you didn't. Not a lot of people did. Most people watched television on cable or broadcast TV at the time that it was on. You could do VOD, but not a lot of people did that either. It was an entirely different. Uh, sphere. And when it went off the air in 2019, obviously it resembled something like what we have now, but even that was less crowded. And we were all saying in 2019, this is going to be the last monoculture show. And I don't see any reason to think that's not true. HBO would like that to not be true. Amazon wants that not to be true. They're 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 coming out in a couple of weeks with their own Game of Thrones show. It's a Lord of the Rings prequel. We can talk about that as well. If you were someone who liked Game of Thrones... You watched all the episodes like I did. Will you be happy with House of Dragons? House of the Dragons. I keep forgetting the article. <laughs> House of the Dragon is, it's a different show in a, in, in a lot of ways. I'm so interested to hear more about what you think, but I, I did get a, a bit of a thrill when I saw the first episode being back in Westeros. Like that did give me a, a, a bit of a thrill, but it's such a different show in terms of, so this show Game of Thrones is based on a series of books by George R. R. Martin, A Song of Ice and Fire. This is based on one book that he's written called Fire and Blood, which is a it's touted as a history of the House Targaryen, mm-hmm. who you may remember as the uh, the blonde incestuous dragon people. That's where Daenerys came from. This is Daenerys's house, right? So these are her ancestors. And it's based on a this Fire and Blood is a really fun book to read. It's not dry history, but it's still not a novel. It's not fleshed out the way that A Song of Ice and Fire was. And so it's much more concentrated. This is largely a palace intrigue show, you know, set largely, at least for now, in one location, as opposed to the sprawl of Game of Thrones, where you had so many different flavors of characters for the audience to latch on to. So there's a lot to love, especially if you've 
enjoyed Succession, which HBO Once Upon a Time said was their next Game of Thrones, right? And, Did they really? And has become. Yeah, sort Did of. Did really you say know? that? I thought it was totally for media nerds like you and me. I was shocked that it has become as popular as it is. Well, I think a lot of people... Well, okay, I won't lay this on HBO. I will say some people... I know that a lot of people called Succession Game of Thrones without the dragons. And now I'm seeing headlines calling House of the Dragons Succession but with dragons. It's all cyclical. <laughs> Basically, these are just power struggles for a throne uh, is what we're talking about again and again and again. But instead of Logan Roy, you have uh, a Targaryen king. But I think what's true is that this show is both familiar and very different at the same time. What, what do you think? So I saw a, a mostly finished version of the first episode a couple months ago, uh, and I liked it. But I want to preface this by saying I like Game of Thrones a lot, and I watched all of it. I think I came to it like in the second season, you know, binge the first, and then was watching it in real time. But I didn't read the books. I didn't delve deep into the lore and the conspiracies. I did <laughs> not realize that this was based on another Martin book. And as soon as it started, I had to remember, okay, Targaryens, I remember that. That's Daenerys. She had the dragons. But I felt like this was for people who knew all of the houses and the lore and really wanted to see that backstory brought to life. And obviously, I'll watch the rest of it, too, because it could take off in lots of different places. But my first thought was... This is for Game of Thrones super fans. And I think if I'm right, and that's the case, then HBO will be really bummed out because I think a lot of people like Game of Thrones, but I don't know what percent of them were hardcore super fans. Right. It 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 was a really rare breakout. I don't think they I mean, I know HBO never expected Thrones to break out as wide as it did, and it's incredible all the different quadrants that it wound up appealing to. I don't think this show is going to do the same. I think it's going to be popular, but I don't think it's going to be. And, you know, compare you went to a media screening uh, in New York. I went to the premiere in Los Angeles and I've been to Thrones premieres before. And this was so muted by comparison. It was a lovely night. Incredible venue was at the Academy Museum, like lovely venue. But it just wasn't the big explosion of expectations and and star power and all the things that Thrones premieres have been in the past. Now, when Thrones originally started, of course, I don't think they even had a premiere for season one because it wasn't that show. So, you know, this is a, a reset of sorts. But in terms of that broader appeal, I think I think you're right. And I think to a certain extent, of course, HBO wants this to be as wide of a hit as Thrones was. But I think to a certain extent, they know that their first base that they need to nail down are those super nerd book readers because, and, and here's why I know they know that, they are, they have brought George R. R. Martin on in a much more official capacity. The author of the books is much more directly involved in this and has been giving interviews talking a bit about how he felt shoved out of the creative process of the end of the last show. So they're doing a careful dance because the, the last show ended in a way that not everyone loved, right? I think that's safe to say. Um, they're doing a careful dance of trying to remind you what you liked about the show while also distancing themselves slightly from the ending of the last show. And also when I saw Casey Bloys, uh, you know, chief creative officer of HBO come out and introduce the screening, he said George R. R. Martin's name like mm, seven times in his intro. And I think they're really putting him out there as a sort of, Hey, book readers, if you're feeling burned by the way the last show ended, we've got the guy. The guy himself is here to tell yeah. the story the way that he wants to tell it, you know? 
And to be clear, because it maybe it sounds like we're dour, it's a it's a fun show, and and there's lots of stuff that I recognize from Game of Thrones. There's dragons, and you don't have to wait seasons to see them. You you got to see them right away. Although when I saw them, they were still digitally working on them a little bit. <laughs> um, I saw the fin- got- I, I saw the finished dragons. They look okay. Good. The dragons are finished. They're not. They're yeah. not half rendered. Um, <laughs> there's vi- there's gory violence of of multiple kinds. There's there's nudity. There's sex. There's definitely intrigue. One thing that I noticed right away was, and this is funny to say, is that there are non-white people on this show. There were non-white mm. people on, on in Game of Thrones, but they're generally, you know, it's a different race, and we're going to go conquer them. Here, are you in the Targaryens, there's a sort of multicultural cast. I'm assuming that is pointed on the point of HBO's uh, on HBO's end. Did you talk to them about that? Do you have any sense of of that, or is that is that true to the book that there were different races of Targaryens within the book? There's a family that's sort of related to Targaryens that they've decided to cast with black mm-hmm. actors. And um, it is a departure from the book, but again, one that, that George R. R. Martin is fully enthusiastically on board with. I think it is very intentional because that there were marginal characters in Thrones who were not white, but by mm-hmm. and large, it's a very white cast that got them... Uh, you know, a lot of, I think, well-earned criticism over the years, but uh, but especially, you know, when you trot that number out, 2011, this came out in 2011. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I remember talking to the casting director of the original series about that, about the whiteness of the cast. And she was like, oh, I just went off the book descriptions. And I think that's just not how we're looking to populate shows anymore. Obviously, we have miles to go in, in many regards, but uh, I think if they came out with an all-white cast now... They would just be shooting themselves in the book in the foot. It's something you know, I noticed, and then I thought I th- thought about the fact that I noticed it, and I thought about the fact that I hadn't thought about it during the entire uh, Game of Thrones run. My producer's telling me that it's Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. So, <laughs> so if I screw up, <laughs> that's anymore, why I just go say um, Thrones. I just say Thrones, thrones keep and it short dragon. and snappy. Yeah. We'll be right back with Joanna Robinson, but first a word from a sponsor. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back. I I know that you you generally spend your time talking about the shows and what you like about them, what you don't, and you don't really do a lot of corporate business speak, but I'm going to ask you to moonlight for a second. What does this Mm -hmm. show mean for HBO and its new owners, which are called Warner Brothers Discovery, how important it is it for them for this to be a massive hit, or are they okay if it's just successful? I think I mean they're 
doing pretty okay because if you look at some of you know we already mentioned Succession, Euphoria is a massive hit for them. Uh, they've got a slate of comedies. They had the most Emmy nom- nominations this year of any other platform. Mare of Easttown, White Lotus, Big Little Lies. You know, they've got a bunch of different. There's there's another True Detective season coming. You know, it's not. I think when Thrones ended, there was this big question of is HBO just going to collapse like a, like a flan mm-hmm. in a cupboard after after this is over. And they've proven with these various shows that, that you know, no, Casey Bloys knows what he's doing. You know, they, they are continuing to put out excellent, excellent programming. It does, however, come out at such an interesting time for what's happening with the new ownership, with HBO Max, which with their streaming platform that is allegedly in summer 2023 going to be folded into the Discovery streaming platform. There's a lot of agita around the HBO brand right now because the way that some of these changes coming from David Zaslav, new chief over there, is has not felt very creator friendly. I think it's safe to say a bunch of shows have been canceled sort of unceremoniously, very, very noticeably the Batgirl movie, which was near completed, mm-hmm. is just being shelved and not, you know, it was supposed to run HBO Max is not being put out at all. So I think I've heard from a lot of creatives that HBO, which has been so famously friendly to creatives, that they're feeling a little distrustful of that relationship right now. So I think if something like Thrones, which again, they're putting the author out first and foremost they're putting these new showrunners out in front of the show this is not a star-led property you've got great actors matt smith patty constantine like a bunch of great performers are in this but it's not kate winslet in mayor of Mm -hmm. east town or something like that and so i think this could be a real creator win for that community as they eye this brand and and i you know the carnage that's coming from the the long gestating streaming wars, you know? Yeah, and I hopefully, I'm not going to jinx myself, but I will have written about sort of the Warner Brother discovery of it all, I think, a day before this comes out. So if you're interested in that discussion, you can go check out my column on Vox.com. I mentioned that there's another giant swords and, and dragons show mm-hmm. coming out. It's on Amazon. I don't even know what it's called, but it's the Lord of the Rings show that they are spending a gazillion dollars on. And we had this weird spectacle earlier this year of these two giant companies jostling over premiere dates like, like <laughs> movie studios used to do back when that yeah. mattered because you could only go to one movie theater at a time. Um, and this movie, you know, so it, it mattered whether what movie was showing where. Here, I don't know why it should matter. Amazon, does it matter to an average viewer if Amazon has a big Swords and Sorcerer show and HBO has a big Swords and Sorcerer show, assuming they have access to both of them? That's a really interesting question. Um, yeah, so the, the Amazon show is called The Rings of Power. Thank you. Um, and they spent, it's the most expensive show. You know, the the rights that they spent to the Tolkien estate to get these TV rights for Lord of the Rings um, is mind-boggling. So huge, huge investment from Jeff Bezos. It was explicitly him saying, I want a Game of Thrones giant master yes, hit. exactly. So yeah, this is, I mean... Rings of Power had already announced their premiere date. And y- you, you'll you remember from back in the Thrones day, Thrones was always a spring show. So, you know, it always come out in that pre-Emmy qualifier window in like the March-April window. So to drop it as they are doing in the month of August 
to suck some of the air out of the conversation around rings of power is such a big move. Um, and I can't tell if that's confidence or non-confidence because it's definitely I, on their minds. I, I mean, I definitely it's heard from them. Peacocking is what it. Yeah, you think that you think that's what it is. It's 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 getting out first and saying, "Here's what we got." Yeah, they're they're dropping first and then their season's a little longer, so they're going to end at the same exact same time. So there's going to be no time that Rings of Power gets to take center stage in all of this. Now, I've seen Rings of Power and I think it's very good, um, and I hope that people like. I really really liked it, so I hope that people watch it and people like it. But I do think you know. Both are familiar brands, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. Lord of the Rings, I think, has a little bit more goodwill right now with folks than Game of Thrones might have. That being said, people are very precious about Lord of the Rings. So it's it's a it's a complicated back and forth. The average viewer, though, I I don't know. I will know as I'll tell you as someone who covers it, I really wish they weren't airing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have like 90 books I was juggling at the same time trying to cover it. But uh, the average viewer, I always try to think about that because, you know, going back just very briefly to the HBO, HBO Max question, I don't think the average viewer knows the difference between an HBO show and an HBO Max show. And so the fact that like HBO Max's original programming department seems to be shrinking or going away, I don't know that the average viewer will know notice that at all um, because they haven't done a good job distinguishing those brands. And so maybe that's intentional. I don't know. But um, but I mean, can these two shows co can these two shows be massive hits together? I, I think the answer is conceivably yes. Like it's not like yeah. you're going to watch one hour yes. of TV and then stop for the week. You're going to watch 40 hours, I think is sort of the average. And I'm pretty sure Rings of Power is dropping on a Friday and House of the Dragon is on a Sunday night. So yeah, end your week with the uh, Hobbits and start it with Dragons. Sure. End your weekend. Why not? So bad for you, decent for everyone else. <laughs> or at least not I mean, bad yeah. for everybody else. The the way I've been describing it is if if uh, if your parents get divorced and you're a kid and then you get two holidays, two Hanukkahs, two Christmases. That's sort of what the feeling is. Like, aren't we lucky? We get double presents, I guess, from mom and dad are fighting, but we get double presents. So I feel like we've been in the double presents world for a long time because <laughs> everyone has been chasing after Netflix. Netflix originally wanted to be HBO. And then said, actually, we want to be everything. And then HBO said, we want to be Netflix. And everyone else in streaming said, we want to be Netflix. So they were throwing huge budgets at shows. And then the record scratch kind of extended record scratch sort of started late last fall and into the beginning of this year and Wall Street and then the conventional wisdom in the business world said actually you shouldn't be uh, Netflix you should stop Mm -hmm. trying to have giant massive streaming companies or at least stop spending so much money even Netflix which upped his programming budget year after year after year finally said actually we're not going to up it we're going to keep it the same None of which means that people are going to stop making new shows and we won't see the effect of sort of the new restraint anytime in the immediate future. But do you have a sense of of what that means to to, again, average viewers who like watching things on their phones and their TVs and their laptops? First of all, I want to say that I felt very equipped to understand what was happening with Netflix when all that started to collapse, because I listened to this great podcast called Land of the Giants. Don't know if you've oh, heard yeah, it. Oh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, they did a Netflix series that I listened to very avidly, and a great one on the stock market at Netflix that helped me understand the whole situation. But I guess my question that I've been mulling over is, did we ever think there was going to be something called the streaming wars without any carnage, without any bodies on the floor? Did we all think it was going to be sort of like a bloodless coup of 
corporations absorbing other corporations. Maybe, but like even in a no, mergers no. and acquisitions, right? Like we everyone assumed there would the reason there was a war was because there was yeah. gonna be some winners and they would absorb yeah. the losers. So that's where we are, right? I feel like the bodies are finally starting to hit the floor and like there are upsides to that in some regards, not, of course, in, in you know the sense that anyone might lose their job. But the upside is that I feel like we've been so fractured and so overloaded with content that we haven't gotten to, I mean, to go back to the monoculture, there's upsides and downsides to the monoculture. The upside to the monoculture is, isn't it fun to all watch something together? And isn't it fun for a show to feel sticky the way that Breaking Bad did or Mad Men did or The Sopranos did in a way that very few shows get a chance to feel that way because we're not all watching them together or we're watching them in a greedy little binge. I'm very guilty of that, all of that. Um, so the slow down monoculture thing is something that I look forward to hopefully seeing on the other side of this. The downside, of course, of the monoculture is that you lose a diversity of voices, which is something we've enjoyed in this massive proliferation of content, meaning that we've gotten to see more women and more people of color have their stories told and and represented. Mm -hmm. And when you see what Zaslov has been cutting over at HBO Max, it is largely women and people of color, like stories about women and stories about people of color. That's like what's on the chopping block. And so that's that's what I worry about the shrink down of content. That being said- That seems a little short-sighted if, if, you, if you, part of your pitch is we need to expand our market and part of the pitch of we needed to expand HBO because- it was a. Uh, it was breaching mostly men, and we needed it to, to to appeal to women as well, or more women. Um, and one of the successful things that Netflix did was was find audiences that weren't being served previously or served as much. You'd think you'd want to lean into that. Well, but uh, did you see that graphic from the Warner Discovery Media earnings call that was yes. circulating, where they sort of put all the men and IP yeah. and all of that was under the HBO, um, uh, Warner Brothers, HBO, DC umbrella. And then women and everything was under the Discovery reality TV programming yeah. umbrella. Really tough graphic. Don't know how that, that went. That I, got did a, I did approval. a double take and then I actually asked someone at Discovery. I'm like, you're saying HBO, and they kind of hemmed and hawed. I think they just sort of made up the graphic. I mean, the idea of HBO Max specifically was to make a product that would appeal to more women. They were explicit right. about that. And so it, it right. makes sense that Discovery would say, well, we also make stuff that appeals to women and we're going to put that into what we used to call HBO Max. And, and you know, maybe it'll all work out. I guess, uh, but for me, speaking as a woman who enjoys content, I will say I much <laughs> prefer Hacks, the Emmy-winning Hacks on HBO Max to any real, I don't watch reality programming. So for this mm -hmm. woman, it's not, I'm, I don't fit into the graphic, but. Um, it's funny, I, I get to watch Hacks. I assumed it was an HBO. HBO show, not an HBO Max show. I, that's what I'm saying about, about the branding. It. Yeah, it's hard to know what's an HBO Max original. So that might be part of it. And like to give, not that you asked me to do this, but to give Zaslav some credit, I will say that I think the larger lens approach he's trying to take is to make all these brands feel powerful and strong and concentrated again rather than diluted. And so the HBO Max... The HBO Max approach of appealing to non-white straight male audiences or whatever is something that is hugely beneficial. The Netflix model of let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks is something that I think has done a damage to their brand and to 
I don't know what we think of when we think of what gets greenlit nowadays, if that makes sense. It's so. funny that, that that critique has really sort of resonated with people because I, I, I could go on a jag about I think Netflix um, appeals to lots of people, some of whom don't spend time on media, on media outlets, uh, or that are not writers. And so we're, we're discounting what they're enjoying. But but let me skip my personal rant. I did want to ask you about dilution. This idea that that one of the downsides of the streaming wars is, and this is something people say relatively quietly usually, although BJ Novak went on a rant on my podcast about this a couple of weeks ago. He says, there's a limited number of people who can make really good stuff. And when everyone gets to do a show, when every streaming service has multiple shows, that you're diluting the available talent that you need to make good shows. Mm. Now, that sits uncomfortably with the let's let other people make shows. Let's give women a chance Mm -hmm. to make a show and people of color. Does that have any resonance, though, that critique that there's just a limited talent pool and we've sort of surpassed what they can make? I don't know. I think that's really interesting. I do know that at a certain point, Netflix was snapping up a bunch of people who make great television that you don't normally like a bunch of craft people like sound people and all like mm-hmm. they were just snapping a bunch like taking up all this talent i think beyond the the storytellers and the writers which is maybe who bj was talking about there are just sort of the people who have been in the industry a while and are masters of their craft if you think of like tv directors again there are pluses and minuses i think of there was a time when i knew Almost all the t- the names of the TV directors <laughs> because they you know they were masters of the craft and they were doing the top level shows and you would say oh so and so is doing an episode of Mad Men this week what a treat mm-hmm. now I don't know most of the names because but but again there's an upside to that because we're giving a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise have a chance a chance to get their feet wet in an industry so I, I like I really am torn all the time about how how I feel about this. And to your earlier point, I will just under say tell you you're right again and say I know yeah. that I am as guilty as anyone of being in a media Twitter bubble of my own making. I know that that's true. And I try to think about what does the average person care if Netflix has a bunch of chaff up there if they're being like all those true crime shows that you and i probably don't watch i don't definitely don't watch them i'm assuming you don't um they're enormously popular lots of people i know for sure for sure or you know there's a lot of like you know bridgerton is is the quadrant breaking cross out hit but there's a lot of very female focused programming on netflix that is like you know stuff your your mom might like and that's great because Moms deserve programming too, you know? So yeah, maybe maybe I'm too hard on the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. But I also think that people get maybe overwhelmed sometimes with all the options or that people Maybe, maybe get... Netflix is going to go with the, this is for your mom network. Branding. <laughs> um, yeah, we used to call that lifetime television for women. But now mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, it's just like the mom, the mom channel. I don't know. I gave your boss Bill Simmons a little bit of shit about this. Uh, the the idea that that you know too much content or or or, or binging isn't good for for people who are in the uh, content the the industry of making content about content industry. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I fumbled that enough. Um, <laughs> and so I won't I won't give you shit about that. And, and and I think your work is excellent. I do. I was. So I, I did write this article about the Game of Thrones industrial entertainment complex in 2017 right. and how everyone sort of get gathered around their computers. I have this great image that you gave me of you working with watching Game of Thrones on a Sunday night with multiple screens, ones that you could view it, ones you could write about it, ones you could capture GIFs. Um, yeah. 
so you could blog about it like instantaneously, basically. And you were a wonderful writer, are a wonderful writer, um, to great work. I don't think you're doing that now, right? Are you, have you moved away from words or you're, you're doing podcasts only? I am doing podcasts only right now. That's not to say that I'll stay that way, but for right now I am doing podcasts only, which is, but we're still, we're doing a Sunday night show. Mm-hmm. like an instant reaction Sunday night show and we'll be doing a Tuesday deep dive and a Thursday mail, you know, like we're covering the spread on house of the dragon in a way where, <laughs> you know, I hope people are watching the show cause we'll have a lot of content around it. But yeah, the cottage industry that, that crops up around something like a mega hit, like Thrones or succession mm-hmm. or euphoria or Bridgerton, et cetera. Um, is is a is a funky little industry to be a part of um but no i will no longer and also hbo stopped after i think season four hbo stopped sending out press screeners for thrones so we were all sort of jagged and on edge on a sunday night (laughs) trying to get our content out quickly they have very kindly given media uh some advanced screeners this season so are are you not uh, writing because writing is just a lot of work and it's more fun to podcast uh, is it because ringer is more of a podcast company than a website company or do you think that maybe there's less interest in reading about these shows mm. anymore and people want to hear people um, talk about them? i don't know you know that that the last point didn't factor in into it at all i just personally needed a little bit of a break from writing i prefer podcasting I hear um and uh, and I'm I'm working on a book, so it's just sort of ah um, okay. You still like words? <laughs> uh, I, I do. Words still matter, and people still read. I hope, but um, but yeah, I there's a lot of fantastic writing on the Ringer, and a lot of really smart people are going to be covering House of the Dragon on the Ringer and on the writing side this season. So we're going to be well covered there. Um, All right, I'm a little disappointed I can't read your recaps because I thought they were great. Um, I'm you. delighted I got to talk to you for this podcast. Always a thrill and a joy to talk to you, Peter. Thank you. Thank you again to Joanna Robinson. And thanks again to circumstances that let me have this cool ass job where I get to call people up, email them and say, hey, would you come talk to me on my podcast? I think you're super cool. And they do. They show up and they talk to me. I love it. So thanks again to Joanna. Thanks again to all the cool people that come talk to me on the show. Thanks again to Travis Jelani, who produce and edit the show, our sponsors who bring you this show for free. And thanks to you guys for listening. As you can tell, I love making the show and I love that you seem to enjoy it as well. We'll see you next week.